Welcome to the Leadership Podcast, Small Things Make a Big Difference. My name is Spencer Holt. I'm a husband, father of four amazing children. I've lived in Canada, the United States, and the United Kingdom, and I speak fluently all three types of English. I've been a banker, part of an oil and gas startup. I've opened up a couple restaurants, and I currently lead the commercial learning organization inside AstraZeneca. I am passionate about what makes leaders effective and how we can all be more intentional in doing small things that will make a big difference in the lives of the people we interact with. I'm gonna start the podcast off a little bit differently. I'm gonna ask you a couple questions. Are you ready? If you heard somebody that was breathing hard and you could tell that something was going on inside their lungs, what would you tell them to do? Maybe go see a doctor, maybe a pulmonologist. If one of your friends told you that they had high cholesterol and that they potentially have not been eating well, maybe would you tell them to go see a cardiologist or a primary care doctor? If I told you that I've got an old sports injury, my knee's been really bothering me and I need, you know, I probably need to get some help, what would you just tell them to go see a doctor or maybe a sports therapist? My final question is what if I were to tell you that I was really struggling to get out of bed for the last seven days and that I was having suicidal thoughts and that I could not make sense and I was incredibly emotional and at times would cry when it didn't make sense to cry. Now you might tell me to go see a psychiatrist, but do you look at me differently after that? Do we sometimes still today judge people if they have or show signs of mental illness? September is Suicide Awareness Month in the United States. In fact, one in four people in the world are going to experience mental illness, according to who? In the United States, it's one in five are going to experience mental illness. If you know four people in the world or five people in the United States, the reality of it is someone you know, if not yourself, experience some sort of range of mental illness. And for some reason, today it still has a stigma that we need to be better at. This episode is committed to helping us change the dialogue. I'm so excited to interview my friend, who is an author, a public speaker, and a suicide survivor that gives all of us insight and tips on how to be better and have more awareness around mental illness. This week, I am ecstatic to welcome to Small Things Make a Big Difference, my friend and also author, Mikhail Buck. Mikhail, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Spence. Well, I'm Mikkel, one, I'm excited to have you because, I mean, let's be honest, you're an author. You've written a book called A Guide to Thriving with Mental Illness. You are a public speaker where you um, kind of travel around America um, and maybe after this podcast, maybe the world, uh, around thriving with mental illness. You're a mother of three. You do triathlons. You're like a, a workout maniac. Um, and, and you're also a successful professional. And so, With that, tell us also maybe what we don't know about you. Well, when I meet people, I always introduce myself as I'm an author, public speaker, and suicide survivor. I mean, that's really my intro. 
because people look at me kind of like you and they say, oh, you're a triathlete. Oh, you, you do this and, and that successfully. You're an author. But what they don't realize is behind this, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. And I, I never want people to look at me, particularly people who experience mental illness and maybe are in a hard spot at the moment, to feel like a happy life is unachievable. And so that's why I like to talk about the hard things and kind of peel the cover back, so to speak, so that you can see, yes, you can still go through very difficult things and experience mental illness, but that doesn't lessen your chance of success in life. It doesn't lessen your happiness. And, and certainly, you know, you're, you can thrive, just like the title of my book, you can thrive with mental illness. And that's the message that I want people to have when they speak with me or hear from me. What a, what a great introduction. And thank you for that. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode was particular this month is National Suicide Awareness Month. And, and we'll get into, I think, you know, you just mentioned you're a suicide survivor. So we're going to get into that for a minute in, in just a minute. But I think one of the things that we first, I would like to define with you is that what, you know, we hear this term mental illness. And often, I think right now with COVID-19 and all the social injustices, I think this topic around mental illness has maybe taken a backseat, but probably now more than ever is so prevalent. And so if you could help us define what, how you would define mental illness and where it sits in priority today and why it's probably more important more than ever to talk about it now. Well, I'll start off with kind of where it sits today. I, I think, like you said, with, with COVID, with all the social injustice, everything that's happening, it, it has kind of taken a backseat in the conversation. But because of the quarantine, because of everything that's going on and people are spending so much more time at home, working from home, and you know, you're just not out and about the way that we used to be, more people than ever are experiencing symptoms of mental illness. And if they have already been experiencing mental illness, they're experiencing it in a much more severe way. So this is a, a very relevant topic at the moment. And I'm glad to have Suicide Awareness Month that's kind of bringing it back up to the forefront of people's minds. But to give you a simple explanation of mental illness is mental illness is really just extreme mood cycles. So everybody experiences different emotions. You experience times when you have more or less energy. You experience times when you have maybe anxiety or, or even paranoia or whatever the emotion is. Everybody experiences these things, but people who have a mental illness experience these emotions so severely that it interferes with their ability to live life day to day. So when we talk about treating mental illness or managing mental illness, we're not talking about removing all of these emotions. We're just talking about bringing them back within a range that is manageable, that you can still continue to live your life day to day. And I think the greatest misconception about mental illness is is people don't understand necessarily what causes it or, or what exactly it is. And, and to put it quite simply, it really is just a brain illness. The, the synapses in your brain are not communicating the way that they need to be. They, they are limited and it, it affects your emotions and it affects your energy and it affects the way that you think and the way that you operate, but it really is a physical symptom that needs to be treated in a physical way. And that's what antidepressants and, and other medications and things like that do. That's such a great explanation because I think oftentimes there's this stigma that you should be embarrassed or I don't want to bring up this, but yet 
you know, and look, I work for a pharmaceutical company, right? I'll be the first person that says, I'd love to talk about if you're struggling with breathing or, you know, if you have diabetes or if you, or if you have cancer, we're, we are more than willing, I think, just publicly to say, let's talk about this. There are cures for this and there's medicine for that. But for some reason, when it comes to mental illness or to your point, brain illness, for some reason, there's a stigma upon that that I'm embarrassed to let people know. Why, why do you think that is? I, th I think a lot of it is really just a lack of understanding because once you understand the physical nature of it, I, I mean, there's, it's not a problem with your thinking. I think that's a misconception. Sometimes people think, well, you need to just try harder. It's a problem with your effort level. That's also a misconception. It's a problem, a weakness of character. There are so many misconceptions about what mental illness really is. And when you boil it down to, like I say, a, a brain illness, your brain isn't functioning properly. Like there's nothing to be embarrassed about a physical ailment in your body. This ailment just happens to be in your brain. But I think there are just so many misconceptions about it that people don't understand. So sometimes even the person experiencing mental illness, you know, once I, I wasn't sure how I felt about it when I first started experiencing, but once I got more educated and realized what it was, I'm not embarrassed by the situation at all. This is just a physical ailment in my brain, but there are still people around me. The topic makes them uncomfortable and I just think the more education we have, the more people can understand what it is, then we're in a better position to help because really education is power, knowledge is power. And if we understand about mental illness, whether we're the one experiencing it, or if it's people in our circle or in our professional circle, that's where we're in a position to help and that's where we're really in a position to make a change. And the reality is one in five people experience mental illness. So whether we hear about it or not, if you know more than five people, you know somebody who's struggling. So that's, it makes it relevant for everyone. I love that. And that's why I want to do an episode, right? Because, you know, small things make a big difference is about these leadership insights. And Guess what? If so, to your point, if you know more than five people, you you are talking and living or being with somebody that is going to experience at some point in their lives some sort of mental uh, disruption or illness. And I think to your point, we need to be comfortable in talking about it. But also, I think as leaders, to be able to say, well, what happens? when I experience it myself or when I can see somebody going through that as, as, a, as a team member, how do I approach it? And so I think, Mikhail, what would you say if I'm a, I'm a leader of a team and all of a sudden I'm like, this individual, I can tell something's not wrong. You know, how do we, how do we have conversations where we're comfortable about talking about mental illness? I think one of the best questions that you can ask, if you have someone around you that, that you're concerned about, you can see, like you said, that there's something that's not right. Pull them aside, but start the conversation with something like, I can see that you're having a hard time and I'm worried about you. How are you or what's going on? And that tells somebody, number one, I, I'm observing you. Number two, I'm concerned. Number three, I care enough to ask. But number four, I'm here to listen and help. Because, I mean, just the, the question of what's going on and stopping to listen, what can I do to help? I mean, a lot of people really, 
it's easy to misread the situation because mental illness isn't something that you can see from the outside. You know, you can't see what's happening in the brain. You can't see what's going on as far as the decisions go and things behind the scenes. So you're just trying to interpret behavior, but sitting down and asking that question, hey, I'm concerned about you, what's going on? Like that's how you're going to elicit somebody really opening up and sharing, which, which is how you're gonna be able to help them move forward. I, I, it's such a great perspective to have because I can already tell like somebody listening to this might be like, whoa, is that like an HR violation? And you know, what do I do? I don't wanna, I don't wanna get into these like, you know, medical information sessions because that's taboo. I think what you're saying is we're not, that's not what you're doing. You are going down and you are asking somebody, how are you doing? And I think, I think every organization, if you're out there, you're listening to, you're going to have someone where if it gets to a point where they're talking about, I'm unsure, great. Let me refer you to here, call them, just know that I'm here to support. And what I'm hearing from you is I think what people need to understand is you are not judging, but you're there to support. That's exactly it. And, and that's the key is not judging because it, the reality is sometimes you are judged when you open up and share about mental illness. And that's a hard situation to be in. Nobody wants to be in that situation, particularly in a professional setting with your boss or with coworkers. I mean, that's and to know that your boss, to really feel like my boss is on my side, my boss is concerned about me personally. And by doing that as a boss, I mean, the more you care about the team, the more you care about the individual, the better the individual can perform and the more they can contribute to the team. So, you know, it's a win-win both ways to be that kind of a boss and have that kind of a relationship with your employee. It, it, it's, I think it's such a great point. And my goodness, I'm, I'm already like panicking over time here that time's gonna go so fast. Mikhail, I'd love to just, I'd love to actually help our listeners understand. So for you, when did you, A, when did you realize you um, suffered from mental illness? And, and what was the diagnosis? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Well, when I first started struggling, I did not recognize it as mental illness because it didn't look the way that I thought mental illness would look. I didn't have a great understanding of it. I didn't know anybody around me. I had never been part of any type of a conversation. And for me, it was really an energy level that I, I wasn't able to maintain my energy. So I would go for a couple of weeks and need very little sleep. And then I would go for two or three weeks and I wouldn't be able to get off the couch. And it was extreme energy swings that were the biggest indicator for me. And I did a lot of blood work and testing, trying to find, you know, is it my thyroid? Is it iron deficiencies and some other physical ailment? And it took quite a long time actually for me to recognize that it was mental illness. My my diagnosis is bipolar too. So it took a while to recognize that that is what I was dealing with. So, and, and I actually have two kids that also have been diagnosed with mental illness and one manifested normally with a lot of emotional, you know, crying and, and things that I would expect it to look like, but the other one manifested just like me where it really was just a lot of sleeping and a lot of energy deficiencies. So I think that that's important for people to know that it may not look the way you think it's going to look. Thank you for sharing that because to your point, and, and I think this is a little bit, you've started a podcast recently. What's your podcast called? My podcast is called Thriving with Mental Illness. And it, it's really just an open and honest conversation about real issues surrounding mental health. And the whole point for the podcast was 
it took me so many years to figure out how to manage mental illness and successfully live with it. But if I had just had people to talk to in the beginning, it would have saved me years, really hard years, really. And the podcast is really designed just to be that conversation, you know, the help of this is really how it was for us. This is really what we experienced. And hopefully it helps other people in the process. Number one, to know it's nothing to be ashamed about. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. We talk about this just like we talk about anything else. And number two, you know, hopefully to relate along the way and, and give them a few shortcuts so you don't have to go through so many difficult, difficult years. I love that. Thank you. And so I I would strongly recommend folks go ahead and listen to it because as you've just stated a little bit earlier, you might not have it, but you know somebody that does. And, mm -hmm. and this, this knowledge is power thing I think is so important because it's about how do we get more comfortable in a helping individuals, recognizing it maybe in ourselves. And so Mikhail, what, what do you recommend for folks? Um, like if I'm, if I'm struggling right now, to your point, Today, there's probably more social pressures of COVID and all these things going on. And if I just feel myself not being able to like just cope, what, where do you begin? What, what would, from your learning, what do you recommend people do? Well, there, there are two different levels, I think, that, that need to be looked at, you know, because there's a spectrum of how much you're struggling or how much you're experiencing these symptoms. And, and the beginning level is just, you know, things feel a little bit off. Things don't feel quite right. I know that there's something wrong. I, like, I can't quite put my finger on it, but, but something's not quite right. There's, there's that level. And if you're at that level, then I would recommend doing the things that I do to, to manage my mental illness. Number one, keep great control of your schedule, bedtimes, wake times, the things you're eating. You know, I'm, I'm real strict on my diet and sugar and making sure that I do everything physically I can to feel good working out, things like that. But there's a second level. And if you're to the point where you're having suicidal thoughts in, in any way, shape or form, I would skip that step and jump right to a psychiatrist and get started on medication. Because if you're to the point where you're considering taking your own life, you can't start with the baby steps. You've got to start with the big guns. That's such a great point. And just to be clear for anyone listening, uh, I'm not a doctor, neither is Mikkel. And so, you know, if, if you are experiencing something, and to your point, if, if you're, and if you're feeling that, go and see a physician and, and seek help. In fact, one of the, one of the stats that I've, I've just read up on was that the overall suicide rate in the U.S. has increased by 31% since 2001. And, and I found that staggering with all of the advancements in our health and in our treatments, we have not gone down in one of the more prevalent causes of death in, in the world, which is suicide. And so how do we, how can we help figure this out where we actually see a reduction in suicide versus an increase? Well, I watched a really interesting uh, conference that had a whole panel of mental health professionals. And one of the speakers was a psychiatrist named Dr. Ghani. He's vice president of Magellan Health. And he talked about how they've done so many studies, but really when they narrow it down, the two main contributing factors to somebody who commits suicide versus somebody who doesn't, when you have two people experiencing mental illness, are number one, isolation, and number two, feeling like a burden. So those are the two main factors. And the isolation factor can be 
addressed by being open and having people to talk about. I mean, that's an easy one that I feel like we can address. Everyone can address. You know, if you have somebody you know that's experiencing this, reach out, ask them how you're doing, let them know they're not alone, and that you're a non-judgmental place to be heard, like you said, and, and a help, that you want to be a help. And feeling like you're a burden to others really goes into understanding expectations and what you're contributing and bringing to the table. So, so I think those are the two things that we need to be focusing on in order to be preventing suicide. I'm, I, wow. I'm, as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I'm like, how, how can I play a role in that where I'm ensuring that I'm here to have open dialogue, but also this, this element of ensuring that people don't feel like they're a burden that, um, really insightful. Mikkel, you said at the very beginning that you are a suicide survivor. And, you know, at the risk of, of you know, I think in transparency and openness and helping people be more comfortable, uh, as I hear that, I'm like, you know, to your point, from the outward parent, like, why would you ever do that? You are amazing. And I'm like, you've got everything going for you. Tell us a little bit around, if you're okay with that, what happened there, what that looked like, and and how we can, you know, just what was the learnings that you took from that experience? Yeah, well, uh, these questions are absolutely okay. My whole catchphrase on my podcast is there are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. And that in includes talking about suicide. But leading up to my suicide attempt, I never wanted to die. I just wanted everything to stop. And those are two different things. And it's important to understand the distinction. Wanting everything to stop is a totally solvable problem. You just have to think outside the box and figure out, okay, how do I take some of these things off my plate? How do I accomplish some of these things maybe in a way that doesn't cost me as much time and energy? Like how do I pare down my life so that it's going at a pace that I can sustain? Because when you're feeling suicidal, the weight is too heavy, the pace is too fast, and there's no end in sight. So all you have to do is figure out how to lift the weight, figure out how to slow the pace, and, and do it in a structured way where there's an immediate change to what's happening. And, and that's how you prevent suicide. And, and so in your case then, like what prevented that from happening to where you made that attempt? So, it, you know, as you say that, I'm thinking, well, I think those things are all achievable, but apparently it's much easier to say than actually have that happen. Yeah, I, people really feel backed into a corner and I felt backed into a corner as well. Before I was being treated with medication, but I did not understand the importance of managing my life. And when I say managing my life, I operate on something that I've kind of termed and that I talk about in my book as the energy budget. So everybody understands a financial budget, right? Different money comes in, money goes out. The most important thing is you don't overspend. And it's the same thing with energy. When you're dealing with a mental illness, many times your energy budget is significantly smaller than what it was before. You have to go at a slower pace. So it's important that you're making deposits and doing things that bring you energy back. It's making sure that you're not overspending. And, and there are some things in your life you just have to cut out entirely. But I didn't know how to say no to people. I didn't realize that everything in my life was up for discussion. Everything on the table could be changed. I felt like I was doing the bare minimum but I absolutely was not. Everything could be cut back so much more drastically. And I didn't realize that until after my attempt. 
I remember waking up in the hospital afterwards and realizing the gravity of what had just happened. And I just thought to myself, there's no way I'm ever putting myself in this position again. I will say no to whatever I need to say no to. I will manage my life. I will shuffle things off. I will pare things down, but I'm never going to get to the point where I'm so overspent that my life is in danger again. Wow. I love that. Thank you for sharing that as I'm listening to this, I was thinking, oh my gosh, energy budget is such a, I love that term. And I'm thinking to myself now, to your point, it took you to that point, but what are, what are some of the things, like give me an example of what that energy budget looked like to your point, like you've pared it down so it works for you because you're still, like if I look at what you do, I'm like, you're still expending a lot of energy. So how did, what, what is that formula for you? Well, well, I'll take you back to the time after my suicide attempt. I had three small kids at the time, and I mean, we had a busy life, you know, and after, after that crash, after that attempt, when I came home, I used to get up and make the kids breakfast every morning. I used to get everybody out the door and pack lunches. I even household chores around the house. I mean, I, I did everything a, a normal mom usually does. And after that attempt, like, there are some days that I would feel really good, but we had to completely turn our lives inside out in that I no longer, the family couldn't count on me doing all of these things. So on the days that I would feel good, I, I mean, my kids were little, Ella was in first grade, she was six and my oldest was only nine. So I had three kids from six to nine and I taught my nine-year-old he would get up in the morning and he would make breakfast for the younger two who weren't in school yet. And then he would turn on a movie for them. And then when I would wake up, you know, then I would take over. But like, we just shuffled all of the household responsibilities and really taught the kids how to do everything. They started doing their own laundry. They packed their own lunches. And, and I would step in and help on the days I felt good. I would like pack vegetables in Ziploc baggies. So it was easy for them to pack their own lunches. But but really I stopped doing almost everything. No more rides to school. I, we did carpools, except I never drove. So it really, it was just like, we would pay for gas money from other people. We pulled out of all of our extracurricular activities with, you know, sports with the kids and things like that. We really, our life came to a screeching halt and was turned inside out and moved forward in a way that was almost unrecognizable from what it was before. Thank you. I, so I think there's some really practical tips and to your point, you know, may we never get to the point of suicide, but may we be proactive in, in our energy budget before it gets to that point. And I think you've just shared some really practical tips of, for anybody that's saying, man, I'm starting to feel pretty spent. There's a way to kind of re, reconfigure where we spend our time and how we uh, consume our energy. Mm -hmm. I, I've, Mikhail, I've got another question for you in, in thinking about this. In post your suicide and post, you know, I think this, how do, dealing through mental illness in your life, you're, you, you have a husband, you've got friends, you've got um, people at work. What is one of the things that, or maybe two or three things that individuals can do as a leader to make a difference in the lives of people that are struggling with mental illness? What are, what are some suggestions that you can give for those that maybe you know, aren't struggling but a role that we can play to help individuals who are? Number one is just having that very first initial conversation that says, I'm not judging, I care about you, I'm here to help. 
But number two, perhaps looking at what some of these expectations are that might be too heavy at the moment and figuring out, is there a way to accomplish this without expending so much energy? You know, for instance, at work, is there what projects are cost, cause you, you know, the most energy drain? What are the most difficult things? Is this particular project essential to what you're doing at work? Maybe you need to pare down and, and only be doing the most essential things, but is there a way to offload perhaps maybe some of the busy work to an assistant, to a, a coworker perhaps who, who would be equally as capable of handling that? So you just need to figure out what are the most essential things for me to do. And that's, that's the key to the energy budget, spending your time and energy in the places that are of most value to you, either with the relationships, either with the things that you're doing, but wherever it is, you don't have unlimited energy. You don't have it in your personal life and you don't have it at work either. So you really need to pare down and figure out what is essential for me to spend and how can I manage this so that I'm not spending my energy or my time outside of my budget? So really, it, it, it's going to be looking at and examining, is there a way that we can cut back on some of this energy drain maybe that's happening? And these expectations that might be unrealistic for somebody who's experiencing a, a heavy bout of mental illness at the moment. I'm uh, such great advice. And, and again, as, as this month is uh, you know, National Suicide Awareness Month, May we as um, leaders and, you know, wives, husbands, uncles, cousins, friends, take time to educate ourselves about mental illness and what role we play in it to um, help actually, I think, reverse the curve of, you know, one of the, one of the leading causes of death in the world. Um, you know, Mikkel, I, I, I'm, I'm confident we're going to need another session on this. Um, as you've been so kind, uh, and there's so many more things I'd love to talk about with your book and, and what you do when you go and speak. But the name of this podcast is Small Things Make a Big Difference. And so I've got two questions before we leave, if that's okay. Yeah. When you are training, and in particular, maybe on the road bike, I like to cycle as well. Um, do you have a particular song that you're listening to right now? Ooh, I do. My 19-year-old shared this song with me. It's called The Elite by Kuhn. And it, it's a, kind of a heavy rock song, but I've got it on repeat. So whenever I'm at the gym or whenever I'm out running or on my bike, this is the song that's playing over and over again. It, it's a good hardcore one. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And then also, I, sorry, this is, my, I'm, this is my bonus question. It sounds like um, physical exercise is part of your equation to managing your energy. Tell me a little bit more about that. I've just noticed when I get up, when I start off my day doing something difficult and doing something physical, it's amazing the difference that it makes, how it makes me feel mentally and emotionally. Like I just, when I start the day off and I'm working out, I feel like, all right, day, I've got you, whatever you have to throw at me, like I, I got this, no matter what it is. But the days that I get up and, and perhaps I I think I don't have time to do that and, and I let it slide. Those days are just a lot harder for me mentally. So like to me, it, it's, it's part of my managing mental illness. It's something that I do every day to keep my mental health as strong as it can be. I love it. Thank you so much. And, and, and let's be honest, you are a, a leader in your own right, both in your family, in your community. And I, and I would actually say throughout the world as you help individuals and society um, really tackle this issue around reducing the suicide rate and helping people thrive uh, with mental illness. And so 
what is one of your leadership habits that you do on a regular basis that might seem small but makes a really big difference? I would say the biggest thing that I do is choose to see the good in whatever situation you're in. I, I mean, we're all going to have hard things that happen in, in every part of our life. And you can either choose to see the good or you can choose to see the bad. And the thing is, both of those things are true. But by choosing to see the good, it, it just reframes your mind and it helps you see solutions rather than problems and see the silver lining, if you will. Mikkel, you've been very generous, both in your insights and, and I would actually, I'm, I'm feeling more encouraged. I hope everyone listening today is as well in that we all have a role to play in helping our society. And let's get over the awkwardness of this isn't something that is taboo, but may we embrace the conversations to help individuals, to your point, um, feel that they're not a burden and that they're not alone. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Vince. I hope you've enjoyed this week's session of Small Things Make a Big Difference. It tackles an important issue around mental illness and that each of us, whether we experience it ourselves or we know somebody who will experience it, that we can do something about it. My hope is after this episode that we all recognize that there is help. And may we more importantly recognize what small thing we can do that will make a big difference in the lives of people that are struggling with mental illness or for ourselves in how we can get help.